Welcome back to the AIM podcast. Today we sit down with special guest, military veteran and founder of Battle Bunker, Austin Alexander. You guys are going to love this conversation as we talk about how important it is to truly execute on any goal or dream that you have. We dive into a lot of different ways that he's used the military to help him get to where he is today, as well as talking about how he is growing his brand, Battle Bunker, and where it is headed. You guys are going to love this episode, so let's dive right in. Without further ado, Austin Alexander. Austin, thank you so much for jumping on the AIM podcast. Of course, Doug. It's nice to see you again. I know. It's great to see you, man. I'm very thankful to have you on. I'm very thankful for your service. You are... um, you're adding to our, our great list of guests that have been veterans. We've had Josh Bridges, Nick Baird, Don Tran. We've had some really cool veterans, and I think you bring a very exciting element to the show. So I'm very, very thankful you jumped on. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I'm excited for this. This is going to be great. Yeah, man. I mean, you've you've obviously, first off, congrats on on everything that you've built with Battle Bunker. It's, it's exciting to see from an outside view. Obviously, I would love to dive into a little bit more of your mindset and, and hear some more about the brand. Uh, from your perspective, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool to see what you're building, and obviously, I'm sure we can dive into this. But you have probably big aspirations of for where it, where it can go, and all the things, new things you're doing, such as events and and a lot of cool opportunities. I'm sure we'll be able to talk about. Okay, yeah. Before we dive into that, though, I would like to kind of set the stage and, and get some more context for for those listening. So, you obviously have a, a background in the military, which we just kind of hit on, but I would love to kind of hear how that started, you know, how you got into the military and some of the ways that that kind of sets you up for what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was going through high school, you know, I'm from a very small town. You don't really get exposed to a lot of stuff. Did the normal thing, went to high school, came home. That's pretty much it. I worked a part-time job, but as I got, as I graduated high school, I went to college. I was like, I hate this. I couldn't stand college. I just learning to the beat of someone else's teaching is not my, not my forte. I mean, if it's one-on-one, you know, and I can ask direct questions and learn like that, it's better. But I joined the Navy when I was dropped out of college, joined the Navy when I was 20, 20 years old and was constantly being exposed to new things, new places, new people, new environments. And it, you know, the military builds, builds you a lot, builds character because you're not always getting the best circumstances. Actually about 80% of the time, you don't have the best circumstances and you're being thrown into these different environments and you're having to adjust and adapt to all of them. The first environment I was tossed into was boot camp, And for all service members, that's, it was a kick in the nuts for me because I never had anybody yell at me or speak to me like that. I understood why, but it was just, it was a culture shock for sure. And I think we can all agree, all service members go through that culture shock. Then after that, I went to Bahrain, super, super hot there. It's like a hundred and, you know, during the summertime, it was like 130 degrees. We worked on these little boats in the harbor. My job was naval security. And I can remember looking down at my phone temperature. And it's at 137 degrees and it was like a hairdryer. So constantly being tossed into these different environments, it builds character. You learn not to expect much 
And to answer your question, how, how's the military kind of built my character and had me come out of my shell? If something is wrong in the military, you speak up, you say something, because there are lots of different scenarios that are, can be unsafe. If, if you don't say anything, people are probably going to get seriously hurt or die. Mm -hmm. So having to, to be able to speak up and having to basically you know, do this to prevent injury or some, somebody's life, as well as being tossed into these training positions. I was a field training officer. You have to learn how to speak and you have to learn how to, to dictate and read people's body language and all these things I learned throughout my military. If you would have spoken to me back when I was 20, I was a real shy guy. I didn't hardly speak to new people. I was nervous. I was definitely an introvert, but the military changed me into an extrovert and getting to meet all these new people and hear these interesting stories. I got to where I just talked to anybody and I, I still hold that with me today, being able to speak and being able to say hello to people. And just, I tell people all the time, the best thing I ever did for myself was join, join the Navy. Wow. That's, that's fascinating, man. It's super interesting to hear that's, you know, that perspective when you got into serving, when you got into the Navy, was this something, you know, your 20 year, 20 year old self, was this something that you saw yourself doing for a long time? Or was this just kind of the next thing on the agenda? How did you kind of go at it from that perspective? I tell folks all the time, I'm a terrible planner, but a really good executor. I will execute sometimes before I even plan. So it was the same when I joined the military. I didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do. I just said, get me out of here. I want to join the Navy and made the decision. No planning. Took it a step at a time. And I, there were some points where people ask me, you know, are you going to do 20? And I would just say, I don't know. We'll just kind of take it at one command, one duty station at a time. And kind of just went from there. And it was for me, it kind of helped me with planning because in the Navy, they're like, okay, you are going to be here for the next two years, or you're going to be here for the next seven months. And the way I time, I was able to time block like that. Like, okay, I'm in Bahrain until October 16th, 2016 or whatever. It helped me, helped me kind of set goals for myself within those two years, but I didn't really plan anything after that. There was a time where I, I told myself, yeah, I'm just going to stay in and do 20, but things change. They change super rapidly, especially sure. when you start your own business. And yeah, it eventually led to me getting out in 20, uh, 2020, 2020. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Now, when you started making content, what, what point in your career did that kind of take shape and, and how did you kind of get into that side of things? I always had a previous interest in video. I, I love grabbing my mom's camera and making these little superhero videos and she'd be like, Austin, where's my camera? Oh, sorry, <laughs> mom, I'm using it. And back then it was those, you know, two handed cameras with the screen on them and the camera would rotate back and forth. But Throughout high school, I had the opportunity to produce, to, to shoot, edit, and produce a show called Current Events. So I always had a previous fascination with video. And when I got in the Navy, I would always make these little videos through my phone or whatever camera I had and just show them to like my grandma, my mom. I'm like, hey, this is what I did this weekend. And 
it eventually got to where I was posting those short clips on, on Facebook. And when I went on deployment in 2017, I said, I don't want to worry about getting qualified and getting my warfare devices. You know, in the Navy, you have information, dominance, warfare, service, warfare, and air warfare, which are the pins that go in your uniform. I just spent the whole deployment making a, a documentary and I was always with the, with the media team, getting files from them, talking to them about their editing, watching them edit everything. So they gave me a copy of Premiere Pro and I put it on my laptop and I started whipping up this documentary in my, in my rack. I would go out and film, bring the files in, save them on my computer and then edit. And when I got back from deployment, that video was ready, ready to go. I just sent it to my friends and family and posted it on Facebook and it got a decent amount of shares and people were like, you should post this on YouTube. This is great. And, you know, make it public so anybody can search and find it. This could help other sailors or this could help other people at the time. I was like, no, nah, I'm not good enough for YouTube. You know, you had the, the Mr. Beast and the, and, and the Logan Pauls. I was always comparing myself to them. I was like, there's no way I'm going to post on YouTube because I'm not good enough. And then finally, I made the decision. I posted it on YouTube and time went by. I didn't really monitor my channel. Didn't even check in for like a year. And I met this girl named Sarah. I'm, I'm getting to the point that's going to talk about how I was able to take this full time. But this is a, a, this was a turning point for me. I met Sarah. She's actually upstairs still with her today. Let's great, go. great person. <laughs> and she was very driven, very, very hardworking. I mean, she's like a robot. She's like, a, you know, she's cordial. She's on time. She's a great planner. She was a travel nurse. I met her in Reno. We started talking, we got involved. And I said, why don't you come to, to California with me? It's my next duty station. I'm going to Seal Beach. It'll be great. You can get your, your license in California and make more money. And a month later, she moved in with me pretty much right when I got to Seal Beach. And after about a year of being together, she, you know, I had shown her the deployment video. She, and she loved what she loved it. She thought it was a great video. And finally she's like, awesome. What are you doing? Like, you need to make more YouTube videos. And I would tell her all the time, I would like to, you know, make videos for a living. I'd like to be a director or some type of videographer or something. And she's like, well, it starts here. Get your ass in there and make a YouTube video. And I was like, but I don't know what, I, what I'm going to make it on. She's like, I don't care. Get, get your ass in there and make a fucking video. And I was like, all right, all right, chill. <laughs> I went in there. I, I started making a video. I filmed it on my iPad. It was like all that I had that was charged at the time. And after that video, I made another one. And after that video, I made another one. I became obsessed with reading people's comments. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm in the Navy too. I just got, I left Bahrain. What are some tips about Bahrain? So we make a video about Bahrain and that just sprung topics. And I always had a passion for fitness as well. So in 2019, YouTube was getting pretty, pretty serious. And I made, I made a video titled Miss Bikini Olympia attempts the Navy physical readiness test. Ashley Kaltwasser, she was Miss Bikini Olympia. She was a friend of mine. I had done videos with her and for her in the past. And that one video, it really put into perspective how powerful YouTube can be and that it was possible to earn an income on YouTube. And 
after that video, just kept making more videos, more videos kept optimizing. And by the time 2020 rolled around, I think I was making double the salary that I was in the Navy, maybe even triple. Yeah, probably about triple only from YouTube AdSense. I wasn't taking on brand deals. I wasn't selling merchandise. I wasn't doing anything. And that's when it clicked. I was like, man, this is fun. I'm doing it part-time. I'm doing it on the weekends. And I'd really like to do this full-time. And in 2020, I made the decision to, to leave the Navy and take, take on production full-time. That's incredible, man. So when you started out, so you said, obviously you had a couple of videos that were more military focused, but were all your videos kind of at the beginning, all somewhat in somewhat of a niche of like the military, or did you just kind of make different things to see what like worked best? Completely different things. I would, you know, how to wake up at five 30, I would make fitness videos. I competed for a bodybuilding show. I actually have the trophy <laughs> right here. Let's go. Did, uh, my first classic physique show. That's bodybuilding awesome. show. Took first place in my division. Let's go. And I would make, I made like vlogs, you know, there was a time where I made 40 videos in 40 days and I just became obsessed with it. Wow. And yeah, there were, it was all types of different topics, whatever I could think of. Now, when, <clears throat> before you made the transition to go full-time into this and you were still doing this while in the military, what were kind of the perceptions and, and the feelings you were getting from other guys in the military where they were open and responsive. Like what were the, what was their kind of position? There were other creators on the platform. I think there was like three. There was one guy named Armando Nava. There was a guy named Nikki MGTV and a guy named JT suits as well as, as um, Donnie Klein. They all made military, you know, they were all in the military. They all made military centric videos they were receptive. They reach out, you know, Hey, love the videos, man. This is great. But the people that didn't really understand it were people in the Navy, but at different commands. And I got emails all the time. They were either, Hey, you know, what's your chief's name? I need to speak to him or my security officer saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's talk about this video. A lot of people were not receptive, but some people were people in my direct command that knew me, that knew my intentions. They were cool with it. Pretty much everybody at the Harbor division at Sill beach in my department, they were cool with it. It was just the chiefs on the same base over at trainings. that didn't really know me. They didn't really associate with me. They're the ones that they started to, it started to catch their eye. Other chiefs would reach out to him and say, hey, MA2 Alexander is making this video. How do we feel about this? Blah, blah, blah. So it was probably about half and half. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I'm sure like that to me, at least, you know, when we spoke with Nick, like he was talking about kind of his journey through creating content while in the military and like the grind. And like, you know, he said people would make fun of him and people didn't understand it, but then some people supported it. So I was just curious how that kind of played out because I'm sure you've, you're in the midst of a lot of different people, a lot of different emotions, people that probably are disconnected to what you're doing and the intentions you have with it. So I'm sure there's got to be some sort of gap there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to on the outside looking in, they just saw me filming myself with a camera. And nowadays, still, when you when you do that in public or on the Internet, people are thinking, why is this guy filming himself? Does he think he's something special? They don't see that 
these videos help and inspire and motivate others to do better in life, whether it's fitness, whether it's, you know, lifestyle, whatever. And that's what I was, what I was shooting for. I was making tutorials, like how to increase your pushups, how to increase your pull-ups. And I was helping people. hundred percent. And that's, that's to me where, you know, I look at your content. I'm like, this, this stuff is valuable, but it's also like extremely uplifting, motivating. And like, it makes me want to go do stuff. So I think at the end of the day, like you're obviously your, your personal brand is growing, but you're able to make such a bigger impact through what you're doing. I would, I would think that would be received pretty, pretty positively. I would think so too, but there are so many, there are a lot of emotions people go through when they watch my videos. Some of it is just hate. Some of it is, you know, look at this loser. Some of it's, oh, great. I love this video. Thank you. And <laughs> especially when, when you do get to start reaching people, everybody has an opinion. You know, if that video does 5 million views, that's basically 5 million opinions. Some people don't share them in the comments, but a lot of people do. So yeah, I mean, people, I was getting made fun of. People were roasting me in group chats on Reddit, or I don't even know much about Reddit, but I mean, there were forums about me. There was, I was, there's a popular page which basically makes fun of service members and does a bunch of military memes. It's called Shit My LPO Says. I was on there like five or six times. And throughout my YouTube journey, I had become hardened to the comments. A few of them got to me. Because they would talk about, you know, the way I looked, what I was doing. Like if I put one of my family members, they would talk about my family members in the comments and it stung. And that, that really hardened me and it really increased my ability to not take stuff so seriously. So now when somebody makes a comment still, you know, it's, I just either ignore it or it's just funny to me. That's interesting too, because I mean, we've, we've talked with different people that have created content. I feel like everyone who has become successful, relatively speaking in this world of putting out content on the internet, I feel like you have to go through some sort of that, um, at some point. And, um, it's interesting to see how different people take on. And at the end of the day, like if you're reaching that many people and you're having that much relative hate, like you're obviously making an impact because if you weren't doing something good or making, you know, a big enough impact, you wouldn't be receiving those messages in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree as well. And I've never been the type to say, Oh, these people are just jealous of my success and blah, 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 all that <laughs> stuff. I just, you know, I, I, I can never really dictate the true feeling what they're feeling, but if it's a negative comment, I just brisk right over it. Yeah. No, I think, that's, I think that's the way to do it, man. So when did when did Battle Bunker kind of come onto the scene? What was the kind of motivation to start that particular brand in addition to what you're doing with your personal brand? Yeah, so in 2020, I had lots of ideas. I knew that I wanted to take the channel full time. I never <coughs> wanted everything that I created to be just about me. Austin Alexander this, Austin Alexander that. I wanted to build a community. And... The biggest brands in the world, they're not, it's not a person. It's a, you know, you like you have Spartan race, you have Under Armour, you have Nike there. It's, it's a, it allows people to, to get involved in the community. So I looked at the best performing videos on my channel. They were all obstacle course videos. And I just loved hosting the, the obstacle course videos. I love being there just to help coach people through or help people or push them or motivate them, them through the courses. And I said, all right, let's start 
a functional fitness slash obstacle course series. And we would basically sneak on the base in Camp Talega, in Camp Pendleton. And they had this really nice course. Nobody ever used it. You know, you had this $100,000 course that the Marine Corps built, and it was hardly ever used. So we would go on those bases on the, on the obstacle courses all the time and film. And I said, well, I don't want to be just having to rely on this obstacle course because what if we get kicked out? What if we drove for two hours away and we have everybody meeting us there and the whole thing just gets shut down? It was a possibility. So I said, let's build an obstacle course out in the desert and had no clue how I was going to do it. Remember I said, I'm just a really good executor and a terrible planner. Didn't know anything about insurance, didn't know anything about permits, licenses, anything. And I found a piece of land in Lancaster, which is about, it was like a three hour drive from where I was in Anaheim, 10 acres for $10,000. And I said, well, this is a great deal. I purchased it, didn't do any research. I just said, Hey, I'm going to buy this property. I had like 40 grand in my bank account, 50 grand in my bank account, just from, from YouTube. You know, I was hardly spending it. I would spend a little bit on production and editing and and travel and stuff, but I had like 40, 50 grand in my account, took 10 K out. I transferred them a thousand dollars for escrow. And they said, what are you planning to do with this land? I said, I'm going to build an ops course where people can come out and just, we can shoot. And they said, Oh, well, that's cool. You can do that, but we need to um, make sure you have the correct surveys. They told me about three surveys. There was a significant, significant ecological area survey. It was a barn owl survey and like a desert tortoise survey for some endangered species. And I found out that those surveys were like between 20 to like 30 or 35 grand a piece. And <laughs> before I even, before I even purchased the land, County of LA was telling me, all right, you got to pay another hundred K in surveys. And that's before I even built a course before I even did anything. And I was like, okay, well, this land is a no-go. I can't afford that. Give me my money back and I'll just cancel escrow. Luckily, I got my money back and basically just canceled the whole deal. And I was talking to my manager at the time, had um, a man by the name of Michael Gordon reach out to me at the end of 2019. And he said, hey, we're starting a division of Night Media in LA and I want to work with you. And I said, okay, I'd never worked with the manager or anything before. Didn't really know what they did or do or anything. And I think I was Michael's second client with night media still with him today. Great guy. Wow. He helped me out a lot. He said, I have a friend that owns a paintball park. You should ask him if you can build inside of his paintball park, because he already has the permits. He has the insurances, everything. So I went to go look at this paintball park. It was, he had an acre and a half inside uh, I believe it was called Combat Paintball Park up in Santa Clarita. And he said, give me 4500 bucks a month and you can rent it out. And I said, well, if it allows me to build a course, then let's, let's do that. So I was, I was about to sign the lease to that, about to, about to lease it, 4500 bucks a month. And I said, you know, there's got to be a, a bigger spot that we can do this at. So then I visited another paintball park called Ambush Paintball. Went out there, talked to the man, his name's Glenn. And I said, I'm looking to build an obstacle course. And he's like, for what? I said, to make videos. And he said, well, I got 80 acres here. You can 
pretty much use whatever you want. Give me three grand a month and we'll call it a deal. Wow. So I said, yeah. I said, how, how fast can you draft up a lease? <laughs> and within like five days, he had the lease to me. I'd signed it, paid the first month's rent. And this was in, I believe at the end of September. So October, I started building, it took me 44 days out there in the desert to build this nine obstacle course. I did everything from the land clearing, rented a, a front loader out there, just cleared about three acres off. And then we, we broke ground. I built the first, first couple of obstacles. And then the other obstacles were kind of like budget obstacles. We just had, um, obstacle number two was just a hill. It was just a, just a hill of dirt and sand and a lot, a lot of things were going wrong out there, but I was just determined to, to make it happen and to get these first videos done. And then 44 days after that is when we filmed our first battle bunker episode. And that was in 2020. I was on terminal leave from the Navy at the time. So I was stressed out about a lot of stuff. I was starting to go through a little bit of depression because I felt like I was no longer part of this great team of people in the Navy. It was basically just all me. And a lot of those days I drove from Anaheim up there two hours and I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing? You know, I'm like, what, what has my life become? I, I left the Navy and now I'm out here by myself building this random obstacle course in the middle of the desert. There's a big ass spider on my wall. Let me kill it real quick. It looks like a brown recluse. Oh gosh. <laughs> all right we're good look at that <laughs> that was wow yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool <laughs> um and you know lots of those 44 days was me just driving out there because i forced myself and i would sleep in my truck and because i had so many things to do so many ideas so many things that i i wanted to do but i was limited by budget out there you know that had like 40 grand left in my account. I, yeah, 40 or 50 grand. And that 3K was just kind of eaten away. And we produced our first episode, posted it, and it underperformed. And then created the second episode, posted it, underperformed. So at the end of 2020, I was like, what have I done? If the videos don't perform, then I can't keep doing this full time. So I started looking at jobs, actually. I started looking at the Harbor Division in LA. I look, started looking at LAPD. And Sarah, at the time, she just said, keep posting, keep making the videos, keep posting. So our third episode with the Battle Bunker, it was, we put a friend of mine, Ashley, versus another friend of mine, Angel. Angel was in the Marine Corps. Ashley was in the Navy. And that video rocketed to like 2 million views. So... Anytime you have a banger, you go over a million views on your channel, you earn a significant amount of money. I think we had earned like 10, 10 grand or like 12 grand from it. So I said, all right, I'm going to do this. So I stopped looking for jobs and I went full force into producing, still producing on my YouTube channel. And throughout 2020 and 2021, we produced about 21 episodes of The Battle Bunker there was a time in 2021 where, you know, I was executing. I just didn't plan. All of my salary from the Navy went away. I was taking on $10,000 a month in expenses. And I, you know, January, February, March, April, those four months were 
red. I was, we were losing money, like a lot of money. And by the end of March, April, basically my account was at zero again. I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? How can we optimize? And then we produced a video. It's crazy on YouTube. Like one video can be pivotal. <laughs> and we produced a video titled Olympic swimmer attempts the Navy SEAL physical screening test. That video went, uh, I think, four or five million views. We earned another twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars from it. And then videos after that, we're doing, we're starting to perform well again, and it gave me a glimpse of hope. And that was, you know, that was only last year. So we kept producing, kept producing the Battle Bunker episodes. We started getting interest from brands like Gymshark, and a lot of other brands were like, "Hey, this is awesome." Like, we don't really understand where you're going, but the, we love the episodes. So we had a lot of brands pitch us on, on some deals, some maybe some high five-figure or six-figure deals. And we said no to them because mm -hmm. Michael, Michael Gordon, the whole time, he said, I don't want you to sign anything. I think this thing is going to be a little bigger than what you expect it to be. So we were able to, to carry out production and still thrive off of one-off brand deals and and YouTube ad revenue. And the end of 2020, we started getting eyes from the government, US Army, Highway Patrol, and we had signed some deals leading into 2022, which kind of just kept us afloat. And in March, March or April, I said, okay, we're in a position to take the battle bunker to the next level. Like whenever I get a dime, pretty much I will invest it back into the YouTube channel or back into the battle bunker, which was my baby. You know, I wanted to, to create this show and experience for the viewers that inspires them to get out, to stay active and to just live a, live a better life. And I'm, I was determined to make that happen. And in 2022, I said, okay, we've got to cut the lease to this land because there's no power, there's no water out here. It's kind of dangerous and we've got to make this thing more official. And I started thinking and looking around for places to build a battle bunker. And if it's anything I learned, you know, throughout, throughout the, my time in the military or my time, my short time out of the military, it's always shoot as high as you can. I said, what is the perfect place that we can build a battle bunker. And the first place that came to mind was the Chula Vista Elite Athlete Training Center where Team USA trains. They have colleges and, and teams from all around the world that come compete and train there year round. And I said, all right, I'm gonna go over there and I'm just gonna ask them. So I took a tour and I know I'm, I'm giving you like the full long story, but <laughs> this, this leads us up to where we're at today. And I said, Hey, my name's Austin. <laughs> I produce YouTube videos. You know, there was probably a few eye rolls in there, but I said, you guys have a lot back there that you're not using. It hasn't been used for like five or six years. I want to come in. I want to build an obstacle course. I'll fund the whole thing. I'll fund the landscaping. I'll fund the building. I'll fund the fencing, the insurances, everything. And we will make this place a place for competition where we host our competitions. We'll, we'll help you with foot traffic. We'll bring some foot traffic in here. And after six or seven meetings, 
virtual and in person. You know, I was driving eight hours round trip to get down there. It was four hours from Simi Valley and then four hours back. After months of meetings and negotiations and everything, they, they said yes. And now we have a, a brand new 22 obstacle course called the Hybricon course inside of the Olympic Training Center. And that's where I'm at today, sitting in this house in Chula Vista, California. Training Center is 0.9 miles away. It's a short walk or a short run. And it's a great setup. That's that's incredible, dude. That's so cool to hear the story and the progression. And so this new training center where you guys are today, this is where the your first event will be held. And this this is like obviously you've done videos, you've done cool things, but like what you're preparing for now is the first real event where you're bringing people together and it's going to be a competition. Yes, exactly. One, one thing that I've always been told, you know, through video, you can see see what's happening, you can see the sound, but one thing you can't pick up is atmosphere mm. and environment. And that's really where the physical competitions will take over. And we're still going to produce episodes. We're still going to start producing season two of the Battle Bunker. But a, a thing that's important for me and for the brand of the Battle Bunker is physical competitions where we can just show people a great time. They can come, they can be inspired, they can watch or they can compete and just have a blast. That is super cool. No, I love it. I mean, I think there's... There's definitely a need for it. I mean, I think you can look kind of the landscape of where we are as people. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, you're going to be able to bring value to people from just the experience of, of competing and learning the values and putting yourself in these tough situations, both physically, but also mentally. I think there's a lot that can be said for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, the, the way we have the competition set up, the, the athletes will definitely go into a, a mental state where it's, it's tough. The competition is tough. The course is tough. We have three events on competition day, the triple R, the FUBAR, and the Hybricon. And these athletes are, are flying from around the world, Denmark, Mexico. Well, Mexico is just a drive. It's not a flight. But we have the United Kingdom, Italy, and, of course, athletes from the States. How many athletes will be competing in this first, this first event? 64. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and we, we came out hot. And one thing that I wanted to, to learn and teach myself is event planning and event coordination. And for the last 40 days, I've been obsessed and laser focused on this event. I mean, I have a list of 38 things to do, whether it's sending emails, inviting vendors, getting um, certificates of insurance, getting food permits, getting volunteer registration, coordinating with the athletes, making videos to show them where to go, creating maps, everything. Jeez, that's amazing, man. That's exciting, dude. I, I really appreciate you coming on to share about it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see um, everything you continue to build with this brand and, and how you can make an impact. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you came on and talked about it. Thank you. Of course it was, uh, it was fun. Nice to chat with you again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of the AIM podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, I ask that you leave it a rating and review and share this with a friend. This would help so much as we want to continue to grow this community of 
people wanting to get after it and keep ambition in their lives. Let's crush it. Let's attack the week. And as always, keep ambition in mind.